Welcome to Limited Time Only, the podcast for anyone who feels there aren't enough hours in their life. Limited Time Only is a mix of chat, comedy sketches and interviews with interesting people. We hope that we will make you smile, laugh and feel a bit brighter about the whole life, death and everything in between malarkey. Essentially, we're dissecting the human condition, just using a rubber chicken rather than a scalpel. I'm Esther and I'm Susie and And this this is Limited Limited Time Time Only. Only. This week it's time for Parenthood. Talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. Suze, tell me, is there anything about parenthood that you wish you'd known about beforehand? Um, how annoying children are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, there are many, many things. And I, I know that if someone had told me any of them, I would have ignored them and not believed them. Um... It's that difficult, isn't it, when someone you know is pregnant for the first time and you just want to tell them all the bad stuff. <laughs> that yes. You've got so much crap in store. Um, but also <laughs> the joy and wonder of having a, a newborn baby and the beauty of raising a child. <laughs> um, plus all the other dreadful things that occur. I've got two things, probably. Um, one is I w- wish someone had told me that I would never sleep again. I realised the other day that the last time I had a full night's sleep was February the 17th, 2018. Oh, my God. What's that, three years? Over three years now. That's depressing. And that was only because I was in in a hotel room, in a twin room with my friend Ruth. We'd gone to see a play in Manchester. Um, How very decadent. I I was pregnant with my second child at the time, so my first child was still waking me up. And uh, I slept like... I didn't sleep like a baby because babies don't sleep. Okay, just putting no. that out there. Um, I slept like a very tired bear, and uh, it was bliss. Very small bed, very small room, gorgeously soft, lovely, clean white covers, and it was glorious. I need to sort the sleep of the second child. With your first child, how long did you go without sleep with the first one? She was bad as well. She didn't sleep through. I remember going to a very dark place Christmas Eve. 2015 when she was about 14 months and I was being woken by her every hour and a half oh my god it's torture I was very very sad um that day and that night she slept through I think she knew yeah we had a sleep consultant phone calls with a with a sleep consultant from Mill Pond Sleep Clinic if anyone's interested they're brilliant my husband and I were very strict about following what we were going to do it was it was all it was not letting her cry for hours or anything like that it was called no. gradual retreat it's very much a gentle way of encouraging a better sleep pattern but we were quite strict about doing it and with my second child my little boy for the first seven weeks of his life slept beautifully and I thought yes this is what people told me would happen you'd have one child does one thing and the next child's a complete opposite and at seven weeks it all went to pot and he just was doing exactly the same thing waking every hour and a half two hours it's not as bad now he wakes twice a night around 1 30 a.m and then around 4 35 five ish and we have had the sleep consultant again but I've been far far less strict and also I'm still breastfeeding him and I stopped breastfeeding my first child at 20 months and I'm still breastfeeding my little boy he is 31 months old. I mean, I'm going to have to stop before he goes to school. I've got to do it. But it's difficult. Yeah. Because I don't want to upset him. And also you've got the 
problem of the older child so when the first child i think it's easier to be stricter with because when you've got two children to deal with you just want the quickest easiest solution so you can go back to bed and go back to sleep yes yes that's it there's a lot of things stopping me from doing it but i but i do need to because otherwise um i'll probably lose all sense of perspective and and my own sanity um so yeah the the other thing that i wish i'd known is how long it would take to leave the house oh yeah if i'd known that every time i wanted to leave the house it was going to take two hours from yeah. thinking about it to actually making it out the door i probably wouldn't have had children my kids are a lot older than your children but even with us it can take a long time really? but not in the same way it's different things now you don't have to wrestle your children into their coats anymore no my daughter has to make sure that her eyeliner is right before she can leave the house so oh. she's 14 now so we've yeah. got a different side of it where we'll be going come on come on come on we don't want to go come on i'll be there in a minute my my eyeliner's not right it doesn't matter i'm now at the point where i can't even be bothered to put makeup on anymore i've gone through all that and uh, I'm, I'm out the other side now i'm just shove a coat on oh, don't no. care if it's covered in mud I will look like an absolute bag of spanners, as my dad would say. I just want to get out. But the children, oh. And also, if my husband's taking them out, I have to get them ready. I have to prepare the bag. I mean, God help us if there's no snacks in there. And uh, if it's forgotten a nappy, that would be pandemonium. I mean, if there are no snacks and they're out in the middle of a park, it'd be like rabid dogs. Yeah. So um, there has to be full on snacks of about five different varieties. Water, change of clothes, gloves, hats, you know, every eventuality, sunglasses, sun cream. It doesn't matter what the weather is. You have to be prepared for every eventuality. (laughs) It is getting easier. It is getting easier. And as the weather gets better as well, they're more inclined to want to go out. But my goodness, I have had some moments of just trying to wrestle them to the door, wrangling them. I've completely forgotten about having to pack bags and always having a backpack for both child with everything in and then a bag that I would have with wet wipes in and just just everything. Still got it. The only thing that we... Still carry around. My son needs an EpiPen, so we've pretty much always got that Good on us. Good grief. That's even more important than snacks, isn't it? <laughs> but snacks were always a big thing. It's weird because I'm so out of that phase. When I... I hope I don't sound really annoying when I say this, but when I had Ella, parenthood was everything that I thought it was going to be. There wasn't really anything that surprised me. Really? No, because I'd read that much. I was so incredibly well informed. I remember I had her and I ended up having to have an emergency section with Ella. And um, the a nurse came and sat with me and she was obviously checking on my mental health. And she said, um, how are you feeling about the fact you had to have a section? And I said, well, it's what needs to be done. And she said, and she just kept probing me. She said, you don't feel like you failed because that wasn't on you. You didn't want that on your birth plan. Oh, that was really nicely phrased. I said, no, I didn't feel that at all. It's what needs to be done. It was the best thing for her. It was the best thing for me. And then she said, and what about if you can't breastfeed? Because I was struggling to breastfeed a little bit the first few days. And I said, well, then I'll give her a bottle. And she seemed so sort of taken aback that I was quite matter of fact. But I had read literally everything I could get my hands on how I felt about her was exactly as I expected breastfeeding was as I expected but I think perhaps I am somebody that will try and gain as much information as I can before I embark on something and also my mum died when I was young my mum's mum died before I was born my grand died when I was 16 I don't have a female right so I think I just read everything I could get my hands on so I wasn't surprised the one thing that 
I didn't sort of account for. My daughter is dyslexic and that never crossed my mind that that could be something that would happen. So she was in mainstream education for ages and she's not severely dyslexic, but we had to fight to get a diagnosis for her and it was me that picked up on it, not the teachers. Uh, she was spelling, I mean, this doesn't reflect well on me, but she'd written on her calendar that we were going to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> and she'd written she'd written DUP instead of PUB. So we had to fight for a diagnosis for her. Right. And then she would go to school and it never really occurred to me until we moved to Tuasteiner school. She said, oh, I don't get headaches anymore because the words don't dance around on the whiteboard because we use chalkboards instead. Oh. And it had never occurred to me that not being dyslexic, I wouldn't know that. But also just those things I hadn't considered that she wouldn't just automatically go through a state education and I just sort of thought well you just go to school so that's the point of parenting that I hadn't really thought about yeah but the baby stuff was exactly everything I thought it would be I mean I hope that doesn't make me sound like a massive annoying twonk well I'm just impressed that there was nothing that kind of shocked or surprised you the only thing I suppose I had recurrent mastitis for 10 oh, weeks oh no that's dreadful for 10 that, weeks that yeah. was oh, hell oh god I had mastitis for not not 10 weeks and I mean, that's just horrendous. It was mm. absolute hell. And actually, the other thing I didn't know was that six weeks, she would have a massive growth spurt that, that meant that she literally fed for yeah. 24 hours. And yeah. that felt like a day of hell. But the rest of it was, yeah, what I expected. Wow. Which I hope isn't irritating. But I just, yeah, I just remember thinking, yeah, okay, this is what we're doing. When she was little and then both the children were little, my husband and I would be in the kitchen and we'd suddenly look at each other and go, this is till they're 18. <laughs> oh, yeah. When is this over? Oh, another 40 years. And the thing is, you wouldn't trade it and it's a joy, but on the hard days, I remember when they were little being very daunted and overwhelmed by how long we had to be proper parents for. But my, my daughter's 15 this year and my son's just turned 12, so we're coming to the end. Yeah, well, I think there's different challenges, isn't there? The physical endurance of being a parent of young kids yeah. is something you can't prepare for and that kind of relentless pressure and relentless physical yeah. and emotional stress. But it's a different sort. It's, it's not dealing with heartbreak and, you know, what are they going to do with their lives? And I mean, that, that's all to come. And I think that's that'll be more mental strain. It is more psychological, definitely, as they get older. But however it is, oh, my God, so much easier. And you can talk to them. Oh, yes. And it's lovely. And yesterday morning, Ella and I had a roast on and we were sat on the sofa and we watched Booksmart, which is a 15 and one of the funniest films. And some of it's deeply inappropriate, but she is nearly 15. It's sort of interesting being at a stage where we can watch these sort oh, of lovely. films together and, and have a different relationship. It's really nice. And I watched The Rescuers at the weekend. What's that? Disney film The Rescuers uh, from about 1970-something. Oh, I don't think I know that. <laughs> very, very different. One of the, the old-style Disney films. Yes. Which was good, but, you know, not my absolute peak choice of what no. film I would ever want to watch. But that's my life. I just watch um, kids' programmes. And I'm really enjoying PJ Masks at the moment, so I'll just put that uh, out there. I have no um, idea what you're talking about. Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> Um, I'm going to be Owlet when I'm uh, when I'm a grown up. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, you literally could be talking in Latin. I quite like that actually. There's a whole dialect that people who don't watch CBBS do not understand. I feel quite powerful for that. 
I mean, I think one of the reasons I don't want to stop breastfeeding is it's taking all the energy out of me and I can eat whatever I like. <laughs> so. Oh my God. Breastfeeding, I was back in size, I mean, I don't wear size eight jeans now, but I was back in size eight jeans within two weeks because he'd literally sucked all the fat out of me. Size eight? Yeah. How old are you? 17? <laughs> Oh my goodness. And I do know that breastfeeding isn't easy for everybody no. and it's not something that um that is possible for everybody. No. But it does help with the old um the old <laughs> keeping your weight down. And conversely, it is sort of sucking the life out of me. <laughs> I, I yeah. forget kind of I'm like, why do I feel completely exhausted and my boobs look like tiny little sacks flobbing on the front of my chest? Flopping. Oh, because I'm breastfeeding a nearly three year old boy who is just, you know, ravenous. But he loves it and I love it. And I love him. And I've got I need to talk to someone about my attachment to breastfeeding. Well the thing is it's sad, isn't it? Because when you stop, that's it. I stopped breastfeeding my son when he was one. Just before he turned one because yeah. he bit me and i'm not talking a little bite he did it he did one bite a week before and he laughed and it hurt for about two hours but then there was one day it was the end of january and he bit me so hard my nipple was like a haribo straw being stretched and with his little teeth and the look of joy and delight and he fell about laughing after he'd done it oh no time to stop we interrupt this program with a u-bash scientists have identified a condition causing the rapid acceleration of the aging process it is called parenthood or having the very life sucked out of you sufferers are advised to keep their condition hidden from anyone expecting a baby you don't want to scare them goodbye the most ridiculous things that have happened to me as a parent. I mean, there are multiple. And I often feel like I'm in an episode of The Chuckle Brothers, <laughs> just on my own, recreating an entire cast of comedy characters who are falling around and getting caught on door handles and whacking themselves in the face with a tin of beans and that kind of thing. I often feel like I'm just a complete rambling chaotic mass when I'm going about with my kids. It has got better as they're not so small anymore, but Previously, it was just comedy car crash. So first thing is that I am an absolute master at catching bodily <laughs> fluids. Only my children's, I'll, I'll hasten to add. Um, poo, wee even, and definitely vomit. If someone's going to yeah. vom, I'm there with my hands. I've got, I've got it, I've got it. I'm chucking it out the window. Yeah. And I have been covered in sick on so many occasions on different public transport, planes, bus, train, car. I actually went into an audition covered in sick two years ago I was traveling on the train with my son who was very small at the time and um and my mum actually was there as well and he vomited all over me I was going to an audition and I had a change of clothes but I'd already put on my top and my suit jacket that I was going to wear so I had a change of trousers um, but I think I was wearing the tights I was going to wear oh, under tights. I was wearing um, going to wear a suit skirt and I was wearing tights underneath so I had to go into an audition. I think it was for McDonald's. <laughs> so it's probably quite apt. Um, absolutely stinking of vomit. I tried my best to... I, I, I wiped myself down. I gave myself a good old scrub in the, in the train toilet and, the, tra and uh, the toilet at the audition. But the guy I was... I had to audition with another actor and he definitely was giving me the sidelong glance. Did you say, I'm really sorry, my son's just no. puked? Oh, I so would have said, I'm so sorry, my son's just puked on no, me. No, because I thought that will really make him smell it. 
and I just wanted I just didn't want to be there I just oh. wanted to get 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 it over with but that was that was grim um I've also uh, breastfed my son while being violently sick myself <laughs> That was quite extreme breastfeeding. I mean, I nearly crushed him to death as I got lower and lower over the bowl because um, <laughs> I was being oh. so violently ill. My husband had to pull him out <laughs> as I as I started some jackknife. I've also super glued my fingers together <laughs> accidentally. I mean, it wasn't intentional. I super glued my fingers together and then my daughter woke up this was about half 11 night or something so i had to go upstairs to comfort my child my upset child with a hand that was like a flipper because i couldn't i couldn't prize my fingers apart um i was like oh, oh okay okay lovely that's don't worry don't worry and all the time thinking oh my god my fingers are super glued together how am i gonna get out of this yeah and also i've spent most of well the majority of my night sleeping on about a foot of bed because um at one point both my children were getting in um, to the middle of the bed my husband's got normal amount of space they are taking up about a normal amount of space for a, a human adult and then there's me on the end and managing to sleep but so uncomfortably that I spent the next day like quasimodo basically and that was happening for a good old year I reckon <laughs> so, oh my gosh. it's just the discomfort and the you've just got to be at ease with bodily fluids I think absolutely I also remember once walking along with Ella and she was in the pushchair and there was a man walking ahead of us down this quiet street and she said, Mummy, Mummy, is that Daddy? <laughs> and he turned round and I said, she does know who her father is. <laughs> it was just funny. And I also, like you, I remember breastfeeding my son whilst making lunch for Ella whilst watching her climb up the wall in the garden and trying to just that kind of multitasking and feeding whilst watching whilst you know you have to be a ninja don't you yeah absolutely chopping onions while playing catch while pretending to be the voice of a monster truck while simultaneously fashioning a flamingo costume out of a toilet roll and a monkey pigeon feather it's that kind of thing isn't it it's completely that I don't know have you been watching my life from 10 years ago I mean (laughs) we've been living the same life And coming up next on the LifeSap channel, it's drama, period styly, in Round and Flabby. <laughs> oh dear, has her ladyship upset you again? It started with the breakfast service. She wouldn't eat it. Why ever not? The bowl was the wrong colour. Then she made me sing that song she likes over and over. And did she approve of that? She stuck her fingers in her ears and shouted, Yuck, you're hurting my brain. Charming. She rejected elevenses in the strongest possible terms. Apparently, I'd ruined the lemon drizzle by cutting it up into more manageable pieces. So she threw it at the wall and hit me with a spoon. Oh no. Then she refused to get dressed because her undergarments were too seamy. Wouldn't go for a daily constitutional because it wasn't raining and she'd wanted to use her umbrella. And then she defecated all over the hall floor. Oh, she really is the worst mistress ever. Mummy, I love you. Can I have a cuddle? Maybe she's not so bad. But change your jumper first because it's too scratchy and I don't like pink. Oh, for f- Tell me some of your parenting highs, Suze. Is it a good day to ask that or is it a day where there's literally no positives? 
<laughs> yeah, is it a day when I want to um, write to the adoption agency? Yes. Today is good. I think the overarching parenting highs for me are just looking at their faces oh. and their little tiny bot bots. <laughs> um, they're just so gorgeous. Children are gorgeous, aren't they? They are. I mean, everyone's yeah. children are gorgeous. But then, no, actually, that's not quite true. If they're asleep, they are. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Every sleeping child in the whole world is absolutely gorgeous. Um, but yeah, I just love looking at their little faces. And actually, when yeah, when they're asleep as well. But little bot-bots. Oh, you can't get over it. Absolutely gorgeous. Little dimply um, bot-bots. Little, little, little chubby arms. Yes. Because my, my, my six-year-old is now lengthening out and she's just got these fantastic limbs. I love, I love her limbs. And then... Um, my two-year-old has still got the, the little chubster. And it is that weird thing where you kind of want to eat them. Yes. I mean, my husband talks, I mean, quite graphically about, <laughs> you know, roasting him and, you know, <laughs> how succulent he would be. Which is kind of very odd, but comes from a good place. Yes, I completely get that. Do you find, because I don't have this so much because my kids are so much older, but do you find that when they go to bed because this is what used to happen to me i'd i'd have a day with them i'd think oh god i can't wait for five minutes to myself i'd put them yes. to bed and then i would be downstairs and i'd be missing them thinking mm. i'm gonna be a better mother today i don't think i was fully engrossed and fully present for every second i was with my child but tomorrow i'm gonna be the best mother and look at their little faces and yeah, um yeah and that would happen most days but then through the day i'd think oh I can't do this, oh, I can't do it. Get out of my hair. Yeah, and when they're very little, I don't know if you had this, you're desperate for a day away from them or some time away. And then when you're away from them, you just spend that whole time looking at photos of them on your phone. Yeah, yeah, And absolutely. talking about them and replaying videos. And if you and your husband go for a meal, all you talk about is the children. Well, that's all you have left at that point. That's yeah. all there is. That's what become <laughs> of your relationship because... That is it. That's it. I remember once when James was very little, he's still a very romantic sort of child, but I remember I'd walk in and he'd say, oh, mummy, you look so beautiful today. You look like a princess. And I remember once, I think he was about three, and I got in the car and he had knocked the radio onto Classic FM and there was this beautiful beautiful piece of music playing and I sat down next to him and he closed his eyes and he pretended to conduct and he said mummy I wrote this for you I called it Edam <laughs> oh that's so adorable so cute yeah your heart actually melts doesn't it like a lump of Edam yes yeah it is lovely and they don't remember either so while we're you know standing downstairs agonizing about how dreadful we are at parenting yeah they're happily asleep and then the next day they've forgotten it all and love you just as unconditionally as they did the day before so that's the good thing it is and i also think that we're so hard on ourselves to get everything right but ultimately if you give them enough love they love you whatever yeah and we, we can be quite hard on ourselves well we are yeah i'm very much i think it's helicopter parenting where you're kind of hovering all the time yeah um but at now they're of the age where they're starting to physically fight quite violently and my two-year-old is he's a tall lad and he will soon be as tall as the six-year-old i think and he's quite chunky he, he can pack a punch so it can get a bit vigorous but i'm trying to stay back i'm trying to let them sort it out because yeah. actually if i do that and if he does get hurt a little bit he will probably cry more than is necessary he's quite good at the, the pretend crying as she is but if he cries she gets so she just hugs him so it always works out all right she doesn't like to see him upset exactly and if he cries he learns don't do that yeah and he he comforts her as well which is very sweet that's really lovely well you know after he's punched her in the face so <laughs> it is, it's really sweet <laughs> 
but that's it isn't it it's letting them get on with it and my my yeah. um my kids sometimes fight and they were having a fight the other day you could they were chasing each other around the island in the kitchen and i could see it was going to end badly and i just let them there a knife <laughs> sometimes there is just in a I picked up the cheese grater and <laughs> grated their faces um and they have like this little wrestle and a uh, calling each other names and I just thought just don't get involved yeah, I just almost yeah. step over them whilst they're brawling unless it gets really bad but I think one of the things I'm sort of experiencing is my daughter in particular she is going to be 15 this year and watching her transform into a woman she's mm. suddenly changing her, t- her style's changing and everything and she started her own business making clay jewellery really lovely and just watching her grow into a woman with very strong yeah, opinions great. it's brilliant I don't know if you find this but I find that parents goes in phases and stages and you suddenly you look and you go oh they're suddenly quite different for me it's more the oh I haven't got to do that really irritating thing I was having to do for a year anymore (laughs) and and so that's what I notice when things yeah are getting easier usually physically easier for me at this point especially with the little one it's like oh he's getting into the car without trying to escape yes I'm able to put his clothes on without chasing him around like he's a kind of squealing naked pig (laughs) because I have to put cream on him every morning and evening because he's got very dry skin it's literally like having a greased pig running running around <laughs> and i was just chasing him around the house morning and night and getting absolutely sick of it but he is slightly better now at, at doing it it's quite fun in a way chasing a small naked toddler around yes. with cream all over your hands so you can't touch anything else so you've got to grab him and hope and he'll slide out of your grip and then you <laughs> tackle him on the bed <laughs> Yeah, it's, a, it's good rugby practice. Are you considering taking it rugby? I mean, I think I could be a, a contender for the international team um, with the experience I've got there. So if anyone's listening... Susie's your girl. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Parent Club, your weekly rundown of all the things that make parenthood magical, surprising and more often than not, absolutely soul-destroying. Keep it light, keep it light, Eileen. So I'll tell you a little story about something that happened to me today. Uh, The youngest of my five children projectile vomited over my new cream sofa. Now, I know what you're thinking. She does not sound old enough to have a cream sofa. Well, in the absence of any meaningful social life, I bought it as a challenge, really. Forget couch to 5K. I do couch to OK within three minutes using the scrape and douse technique. I'll be teaching this to you in the coming weeks, along with lots of other useful skills, such as being able to pretend the chocolate that you're stuffing into your mouth is actually a horrible cough sweet. Now back to my sofa, any remaining patches of cack are mostly hidden by the breastfeeding cushion my husband uses as a TV dinner tray. On that note, all baby equipment can be upcycled. So your baby's finished using a bottle, it's useful for you to carry your red wine about in. So now let's start at the end, as it were. I'll tell you a little bit about post-birth intimacy. Um, do we actually, do we ever... No. How about post-birth life more broadly? Who's planning to tug on... (gasps) Have I left one in the car? No, no, he's with the childminder. Okay, where was I? Where am I? Where's the bottle? Oh, skinny jeans. That was it. Who's planning to tug them back on a few weeks after the birth, meet up with the girls every Friday night and join that boot club that's starting in the cat cafe down the road? Hmm? 
Now, if you said yes, it's wonderful to know you've got a sense of humour about motherhood or the long downward spiral of doom which starts with six months of sleepless nights. Well, my eldest is seven and a half now and he still comes through to our room every night. See you next week for more Parent Club. Bye-bye. Where's my wine? And uh, we had one take. They just went, go, go, go for it. Oh, my God. And so... (laughs) So you did. Our guest for this episode is renowned theatre, radio, film and television actor Paul Reddy. Paul has had a wide and varied career that continues to go from strength to strength. From appearing regularly at the National Theatre and the Royal Court to starring in lauded films such as The Dig and The Death of Stalin, Paul is one of today's most talented, versatile and in-demand actors. Most recently on television, we have seen him as Rob McDonald, special advisor to Keely Hawes' home secretary in the hit BBC show Bodyguard as Dr Henry Goodsir on a polar expedition that goes horribly, terrifyingly wrong in the Ridley Scott series The Terror, and as much-loved Kevin in the BBC comedy Motherland. We spoke to Paul about what sparked his love of acting, how he juggles being a parent alongside his work, some of the roles he's played and would like to play, and of course, we asked him your questions. Please note there is an occasional scratching noise at points during this interview. We couldn't get to the bottom of it, but we assure you, no hamsters were harmed in the making of this podcast. Now, welcome to the show, Paul Reddy. It was an all-boys school, and I really cornered the market in all the female parts. (laughs) Did you? The early years, yeah. Did you enjoy playing the female roles? Oh, anything. Just give me a part. (laughs) Is that where your passion for acting started then, at school? Um... I would say, yeah, actually, it was. It was because, you know, I think initially uh, I wanted to be a a tennis player, but I was terrible. So um, that didn't. uh, (laughs) Well, it wasn't that I was terrible, but you know what I discovered? If you want to be a professional sports player, you really have to dig down. Yeah. And you have to practice. No, I did practice a lot, but um, but no, I I played I played for my county a bit. That was about as much as I did. I just loved tennis. It's pretty good, Paul. <laughs> well, it was okay. Play it was okay. County. I mean, I lost a lot for my county. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, no, I did. I, 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 I still love tennis. I just tried to pick it up again, and it's you know broken dreams Aww. when I pick, when I pick that tennis racket up. But but um, but at school, yeah, that was when I started to. Um, I, I suppose they didn't teach drama at school, but they did have. They put plays on. Was it sort of a moment like the first time you got on stage and you thought, I'm home, or was it the escapism into roles? What was it that sort of drew you to acting? Well, I think actually when I was in um, primary school, whatever I did in primary school, I was so shy. Kind of, actually, my my first experiences of like, like I, my very first experience of doing anything was singing in the choir of the nativity play. And I was on the front row and I couldn't hack it and I pretended I was ill I, I was uh, and I you know got taken up that was your first bit of acting yeah that was my first bit of acting and I turned out I was really good at pretending I was ill been there right I'm sure <laughs> it comes in useful through your school years absolutely yeah milk it for all it's worth yeah Ferris Bueller uh yeah I did find a kind of freedom in it I suppose and I love the, I love the and I still do love the idea of um I don't like to be one thing, you know. Yeah. I think that the 
joy of being an actor is you can investigate different sides of things that we all have inside, you know, the psychopath we have inside or the, you know, the useless dad. Or... It's, it's, it's like the nuance, isn't it, of, of life in that no one is, no one's black or white. Everybody's got good and mm. bad in them, haven't they? Everyone's, and it's nice to explore that. So did you did you then think I'm going to try and get into acting and join a drama school? What happened? Yeah, I just say on what you just said then because I we do live in a society right now which kind of is so dualistic, isn't it? It just like kind of box someone into an identity like and politics is so dualistic. There's far more gray areas and far more expansive perhaps than we're allowed to be. But anyway, that aside, so I went to this uh youth theatre stage two so how old were you when you got into stage two i must have been about 12 yeah so 12, 12 13 and was yeah. it an audition process or they were short of boys okay uh, and boys uh, who could play girls brilliantly well no that by then <laughs> expanded by, yeah, no, by then i wasn't allowed oh okay um, but yeah, I, it was yeah, it was an audition process for the plays. I mean, you could you could join up, but I think if you wanted to be in the play, you auditioned, which is a terrifying thing to do for anybody. Do you still find auditions terrifying, um, or not, or do you not have to audition anymore, Paul? I certainly have to audition. Oh, do you? Uh, <laughs> because we did have that as a question. We asked the, the audience for questions for you. Oh my God, we'll get to that. There is so much love for you but one of the ladies did ask that question whether you still have to audition for things or whether you can just you know you get your pick of the parts now her name's Andrea I'll give her a little shout out because that's probably okay. quite exciting well <laughs> the thing is I do, uh, yeah I do mainly have to audition sometimes some straight offers come through which mm. are always lovely um but I definitely don't have my pick of what I'd like to do, although I really wanted to do the project that I'm doing at the moment, um, which I definitely auditioned for. And I like auditioning, actually. I didn't used to, but I think I need to, it, it's kind of part of the process of like my confidence in the role. I have to know that somebody's gone, I've done something, they've seen it, and we've talked and we've talked about where the character might go and that we're on the same page. So I actually, I think I prefer now to audition for things, although I, what I would really prefer is to audition for something and every time for them to go, yeah, you've got the role. <laughs> yeah. This does not, this does not happen, I must say. Any time I play Kevin from Motherland, I'm always looking for the polar opposite of the character because I don't want to be caught as Kevin from Motherland as much as I love him. Um, and love doing that job. I think, um, yeah, I don't want to get caught anyway. When we're talking earlier about things being black and white and humans and, and how people get boxed, I think that happens a lot with, with actors, doesn't it? Mm. The police officer role is going to be so-and-so. But I think with you, that doesn't seem to have happened. You can pop up in different things as completely different characters. And have you, you've been quite careful to do that by the sounds of it yeah i yeah i've been careful to try and as much as i can have control over this i i choose my roles as carefully as i can um and that is one of the criteria to be to choose different roles and i think you know i have been quite lucky in that in the sense like you know over lockdown even you know motherland came out but also, The Terror came out on the BBC, which is a series I filmed like three years ago. 
um, or more than that, actually, four years ago. And uh, because of lockdown, I think the BBC didn't have any content. And so they bought this show that hadn't really been viewed here. So I was really pleased that two things could be on at the same time that were different, you know. Literally polar opposites. Um... Polar opposites. <laughs> polar. polar. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, Thank hey. you. Well done. Holy shit, I've got to be quick to keep up with you. And the thing is, with with Kevin and Motherland, it's, I mean, it started and it came out and it it was loved, but it seems to have just gone to the next level. And say we put questions out about if anybody got any questions for you and the amount of love that was coming through for you. And somebody said, I love everything he's in. And he's one of those actors that if I know he's in it, I will watch it because I know it will be good. So are you always looking for a good project as well? Do you sometimes turn things down? I mean, I just got to say thanks, Mum. <laughs> but actually, that's not true. She doesn't watch, my mum doesn't watch everything. Um, She's trying to keep you humble. <laughs> she does a good job. Um, <laughs> So what was the question? Do you ever turn things down or think, I don't really want to do that because it's not it's not quite up to scratch? You know, it's not quite what I fancy. I don't think it's a good piece of work. I really. definitely do that. Yeah. I definitely turn auditions down or um, sometimes if I have an offer, if it doesn't, but it is, if it doesn't fit into what I think, it's only my opinion of what I think is... Um, I suppose I'm partly choosing the projects because I want to investigate. There's a theme that I go, oh, that really resonates with me or something about character really resonates with me. And that is my way in to, so I feel at least just for me that it has some depth and I'm kind of, uh, I don't know how to explain this without actually sounding like an asshole, but but, uh, do you get what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. I don't want to be an actor just because I want to be on telly or or on stage, I think the project has to mean something to me. And that could be anything. Like, you know, I did a, a, a fairly small part in a play, Noises Off, a few years ago. I mean, that is a brilliantly written comedy farce. Um, but I, what kept me going in that one, because I did do it for a long time in the end, was that I found great value in doing something that was making the audiences howl with laughter. It doesn't have to be like, it, my criteria changes, it can be. It doesn't have to be worthy. It doesn't have to be worthy, it just has to be, I find something in it that I think is valuable. I don't know if you know this, but um, I know a young actress and she's been doing a lot of casting calls over Spotlight recently. And she said that sometimes when she goes on these chats, the casting directors will say, a lot of young actors come on and they say, I want to be Leonardo DiCaprio, but we're looking for more Paul Reddies. That's really more Paul Reddies. Oh my God. (laughs) So now that's going to be everyone's answer to the question when they're going for an audition. Who do you want to be, Paul Reddy? (laughs) Holy shit, you know, I I wish I knew some of this. It never never feels like that. No, I bet, I bet. Because when I go into auditions, they're saying to me, it needs to be more Leonardo. (laughs) Yeah. We're all Brummies. I'm just going to say that now. We're all. This is a fully Brummy podcast today. Um, <laughs> should make that. Should make that clear. I think we should. Um, <laughs> Boston, absolutely brilliant. So we've got quite a few friends who know you from Birmingham. Yeah. And one of my friends, Becky, said, "Ask Paul about his days playing a cog in the wheels of the Industrial Revolution at junior school." Do you remember that? Yes. In a way. <laughs> in a way, I'm still that cog. Yeah, that's um, it, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I do. Oh my gosh, yeah. I yeah, I I do remember that. 
Yeah, that was, a, I, I do, I remember that being enjoyed. I suppose that was a really early, I really committed to that cog. Well, it was obviously very memorable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, once you've played a cog. No, I do, I do remember that. Um, and I did, and I was very committed. Maybe that was the early signs that I was going to, you know, follow it. If you can shine as a cog, then you know that acting is quite possibly the path for you. That's right. The teamwork involved right. in playing a cog, you know, as a metaphor for the acting profession. <laughs> you and your wife are both in the industry and this episode's about parenthood and you have a child. So everybody experiences this, but particularly I think in the acting profession, how the hell do you manage childcare? Because it can be really difficult, can't it? Well, the first way I'd say is for me is I just uh, don't get the jobs that I go for. <laughs> On purpose? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, no, uh, no, it is difficult. It is difficult. And I think, um, you know, apart from anything else, if you, I suppose when you're not, I suppose it's not just about doing an actual acting job. I think the kind of the creative process has to continue even when you're not, you know, doing a play or filming something. Or at least I see it that way because I think I would go mad. Yeah. So, um, for example, during lockdown, I've been trying to write. I've been working on a monologue that kind of responding to the climate crisis that we're in. Um, so I I tried to keep some work going in that way. But uh, we were lucky during lockdown that my kids' preschool didn't close. Uh, it did for a little bit, and then it and then um, uh, opened back up. And I think we were really fortunate, also because we have one child, and that is enough <laughs> for me. Uh, no, but we have one child, and uh, at that age, obviously, she's learning how to socialise. Mm. And you know, if we if she'd just been socialising with me, I think she'd be deeply scarred right now over <laughs> lockdown. But um, but. So my wife's job is very full on, you know, so she is full, full time. Some of the jobs I've chosen, some of the criteria I've used to choose a job has been on the timetable that I would be filming. So for example, I did a, something on the BBC uh, called Mother, Father, Son, uh, which was an interesting project, I thought, but also the schedule meant I could still do a lot. I could still be around a lot. And even now, I think it would have to be something that I couldn't turn down in order to travel too far. So it does come into my thinking a lot. But no, it's, a, I mean, you guys know it's like an endless battle to schedule. If you're filming and you come home, is it hard to kind of jump back into dadding? Um, you know, if you're, especially mid filming something. Yeah, I think, oh God, I mean, I think I'm learning to try and balance that. It, it is a, it is an odd jump, but now, now I, I can't, con I can't continuously think about the project I'm in. I think sometimes I like, I do a bit of work on it. And then I have to trust that somewhere at the back of my brain, you know, things are being put together. Like I'm making choices about the character now that I'm playing a lot. You know, the scene occurs to me that I'm during the day and I'm like just putting pieces together. But at the same time, then I'm picking my kid up. And you're back in the room. <laughs> back in the room because, you know, she has a will of iron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How would you feel if she wanted to go into acting? You know, I joke and say, I would joke and say, uh, I'd say don't do it. But but actually, I think, you know, I don't think I would do it if I didn't think it was of importance or value. And, you know, I think I strongly believe we need storytellers. I mean, the whole of life is told through a story. 
um, whether it's, you know, kind of the economic free market capitalism story that, or, you know, whatever story we're telling. And I think creativity, especially in this time and the ongoing, you know, the future we are heading into, whether, you know, covered in the media or not with the climate is going to need like reframing of, you know, our realities. Yeah, completely. We're going to have to talk about Motherland quite extensively. (laughs) Come on then. It is so loved. I mean, it is bloody brilliant and I have laughed so much at it. Before we go to the audience questions, I wondered, were you already a dad when you started playing Kevin? No. So we did uh, a pilot and I think maybe even during the pilot, I was like, no, I'm not really, I don't really want kids. A couple of years later. (laughs) And it turns out I did really want a kid. Three series now, and obviously your daughter has got older with each series. I'm finding watching it now, I'm empathising with the characters more because I've got a child who's at school. So I've got a six-year-old daughter. And I am there. I understand the PTA. I've got, and kind of all those characters make sense to me. It'd be more recognisable to you as a dad as years have gone by. Definitely. Definitely. And I, I, well, it all comes from experience. The writers have all kind of taken parts of their life and, you know, exaggerated it and, and whatever. Sometimes not exaggerated no. it, probably. <laughs> um, so I think that's why it's so recognisable. Yeah. Yes. And I think we must all be in a similar territory when we get to the school gate. And the, pol- the kind of politics of it. Yeah, the politics of it. And like, am I a good parent? What are they doing? Um, and also the, the flip side of that is like, oh, God, sometimes you just don't give a... Don't give a hoot. <laughs> don't give a... I couldn't think of the word I was going to end that <laughs> with, but... <laughs> help there yeah Yeah, and also the kind of the multiple characters that are in our heads you know i i leave the door like like i am julia and then i get to the gates and i'm kind of anne because i'm like i'm pretending to be absolutely fine (laughs) Uh, and then i'll get back home and start shouting and kicking things across the floor again we did have a question from um s scotty Uh, And they said, I'd be curious to know if you feel like you identify with any of the characters from Motherland, not necessarily Kevin. Are you saying, Susie, like at some points, many of them, (laughs) uh, like definitely Julia when I'm stressed um, and definitely um, Liz when I'm like, oh, come on. uh, (laughs) And Kevin sometimes. I mean, unfortunately, when it's on the telly, I can't avoid, I try and ride my bike in life everywhere i can you know drop school drop-offs and whatever uh just and i just can't avoid you know i can't avoid that must freak people out to see you cycle past <laughs> what what am i dreaming yeah. there was a line it was really stuck out for me the knit one and uh, oh, yeah. kevin one child's being ostracized julia child's being ostracized and kevin says I'm a stay-at-home dad. I know what it's like to be treated like a shit in a swimming pool. Yes. <laughs> I thought, is that what it's like? Is that what it's like when yes. you're a stay-at-home dad? Well, no, I don't. I don't. Th- I don't think it is like that. I think. Um, I think. I, I suppose I, what of my experience been? It's still more um, less dads. When my kid was born, I would be the dad in the group. You know, sing along. Uh, you know committing to the moment yeah commi- not really, i wasn't really committing i was going <laughs> how do i disappear uh, at the same time as give my kid a good time um so i suppose it is yeah it certainly is still weighted part of the thing about motherland for me apart as well as being a comedy the other side the more serious note for me is 
you know, he is a stay-at-home dad, but he can't just be a figure of fun. He is a figure of fun, but, but like he can't just be that because for me, it's important that he is a good dad and he passionately cares about his kids. He's, you know, and he's great and he's great at it um, because we don't want the, the idea in rebalancing society. You don't want the idea of a stay-at-home dad just to be like, oh my God, please don't make me like that guy. Although I do think, please don't make me like that guy. <laughs> but, so, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it's achieving what I would like it to achieve, but, I, but it is in my thinking. And when, when I talk to the writers about it and they agree, you know, it's important for him to win sometimes. Well, it's very and interesting, it's... this series. And in fact, um, Donna asked, um, well, she said she wanted to say how much she loved it and she hopes there's another series. But she said, will there be a future for Kevin and Amanda? I don't. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't. No, because Kevin is so lovable and um, Jill has obviously just treated him really badly. And although he's probably a little bit annoying. I'd say he's probably hugely annoying. But, but, but then he just had this real connection and chemistry with Liz. And I was thinking, I wonder, because she was married to not a very nice guy. And... But maybe, maybe the thing why it's well written is because you invest in yeah. the characters and you kind of want them, maybe you want them to be happy or some of them. And they're a great friendship, like uh, Julia, Liz and Kevin. Marie asked, um, do you have a favourite episode? No, I don't have a favourite episode. I, I, I suppose I don't always remember it that well. When I, when I had to do a bit of publicity for this season, I had to watch it all again, because it, obviously it's filmed out of order. And, and um, so I had to, I, then I watched the series because I was going to be talking to some magazine about it. And it was a good job I did, because like, I had forgotten some pretty major things. Um, so I like... It's a bit of a blur in my head uh, sometimes about yeah. which, which episode is which. Um, but this time, I, I tell you which one I did like. I mean, I like them all, but the one when they went away in episode two. Oh, yeah. And, oh, and, and Kevin was trying to cook the, the pig. Um, when Kevin, it's really enjoyable for me when Kevin is pushed to the point where he just loses his shit. Yes. Because that's a lot of fun. And, I, and also that has, I had a memory of that, that, you know, we, it was right at the end of the day when he was freaking out outside with the, the pig, the pig in the pit. <laughs> and I did, we had one take. They just went, go, oh go, go for it. And so, <laughs> so you did. Yeah, so I was throwing the breeze blocks out all over the place, like, like burning my hands on the pig. And, and, uh, and it was just satisfying because behind the curtains... They were filming from in, inside and they didn't need the sound, so it was quite <laughs> satisfying yeah. that it, it was they were laughing. So that was good. Oh, that's great. Um, that's satisfying. Well, we've got a question from Hannah, who, um, in fact, it wasn't from Hannah. <laughs> she said it was from an articulate friend of hers, but she hasn't given me her name. Um, and she says, I love the way your characters exude a vulnerability. How do you bring that to the surface of each character that you play? Because Kevin really has that vulnerability, doesn't he? So I think I'm always looking for the human being, obviously I'm playing, I'm playing characters, but I'm looking for the thing that makes them human, the thing that attracts me to what is, I think is the humanity in them. And I think I've always seen Kevin as like a clown, mm. but a clown in the sense that he has a hole inside himself that he's trying to fill, but he's looking outside of himself to fill this hole. Um, and that's where his vulnerability comes from, I think. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it's nice to hear that uh, someone feels the vulnerability actually. Um, but I think we are vulnerable as humans in a way and we're covering up that vulnerability. And I think how we choose to cover up that vulnerability is where the humanity comes off. Yes, I suppose, and I suppose if you looked at all the characters in Motherland, that that yeah, Julia's kind Absolutely. of rage is covering up. Yeah, and in this last season, you know, in this last season, Amanda was hugely vulnerable, covering up like that, you know, her great sadness and sense of failure. The scenarios that happen, mm. some of them are taken over the extreme, but often it's like, yep, absolutely recognise that. Uh, I mean things have happened to me this morning that could probably be in the program to be honest um taking my son out to the library um do you ever get to have input into what's going on or is there any improvisation involved or is it all completely scripted thank you Kay for that question it's scripted it's really well scripted I think the things where um I have a little bit of fun less so in this season in the third season I have a little bit of fun finding physicality physicality things like a bit of physical humor that's not necessarily written um like a silly example when um amanda opens higa and uh that she has the opening night and i'm trying to ask about my book see i do remember i do remember some things about this uh, about this show (laughs) but i'm trying to get her to sell my book in her shop and she says this this is not the time and i'm like oh yeah and i i pick up a I pick up something to buy and uh, pretend it's... So the physical fun was like going, oh, that's heavier than I thought it was. I remember that. (laughs) I do as well. And that kind of thing's not scripted. That's just kind of playing around. For the lols. Um, This is is not about uh, Motherland. Mr Chancey would like to know about your time on Radio 4's Homefront. He loved it and listened all the way through and he's listened to it three times. I mean, and just to clarify for the audience, that series, it was a long-form drama series that lasted four years. (laughs) It was on Radio 4 over 18 seasons um, for four years. So Mr Chancey, that is a lot of listening. Well done. It's a lot of listening. Um, And what a great job that was, actually. I loved how they wrote the character I played in that. A lot of fun to play. You know, very entitled, a bit of a chancer, a bit of a rogue. Yeah, a great, a great thing to be able to play. Do you do you have a preference? Do you do you prefer like television, film, radio, theatre? I would say I like all of it, but I I I suppose for about the first ten years at least, I was doing this kind of solid theatre, um, and not necessarily always by choice because I was you know I I think at some point I was thinking God, I'll never film anything, um, but then I suppose my understanding of auditioning for TV became different. When I would go for theatre auditions, I was very comfortable because it's the language I've been speaking since doing school plays in a way. And then National Youth Theatre is what I trained in at drama school. And so I felt, you know, I could go into those auditions and I didn't feel like I had to have the end product. I just had to kind of, it, it was an ongoing discussion. Whereas TV and film is more like, if you're the thing they're looking for, you're either the thing they're looking for or you're not. And I think then my thinking changed because that was quite exhausting going into auditions, trying to do what I thought somebody else wanted to see. And then as I got older, I was like, no, actually, the thing to do is I'll take in what I think this should be. And if we're on the same page, then 
we're good to go. And if we're not, then this is not a project for me. Um, so why do I say this? I think my understanding of all the different mediums has changed over the time. And I, and now I love the fact that I had a solid kind of schooling in theater because it's, it's influenced how I approach projects, how I approach characters. But also, you know, I, as you were saying, Susie, about um, when we were joking about the cogs, you know, it's the, the idea of teamwork is really important for me. The idea of, you know, fulfilling the role in the script, but it's not about me. It's about, uh, it's about all of us in the, in the scene or whatever. I think that's really important. Yeah. And just going back to the home front, the drama about the home front during the First World War, that cast was enormous, wasn't it? It was, a, it was sprawl and, it's, yeah. and, it, and it spanned different parts of the country. Um, where does radio fit? How do you feel about radio? I suppose I've got, I've, I mean, I've got a vested interest in this. I better not say the wrong thing. <laughs> I, uh, you better like it, Paul. Yeah, I do. But I do. I think it's really the radio world, as you know, it feels like quite an egoless world. I love that it's just about the words that's there. You're having to use your imagination or, or at least you're not in a real room. So you're imagining where you are. You're using your imagination strongly to tell through your voice, but also often the, the stuff I've done on radio has been so well written and epic. There's some of the things I've been able to do have been so, I feel really lucky they've been so epic. And I think I also look for, even though Motherland is not epic, in the sense, in the sense that it's quite it's domestic and it's it, the themes might be universal in a way, but it's not the big adventure. You're very much going to the school gate, you know, twice a day. Uh, life is continuing, but also I also look for the things that are epic and uh, like the terror that I did, the, the project I did that was epic and beautiful. So, but with radio, you can be hugely epic. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been really, really, really lovely to talk to you. It's, yeah, it's been a joy. It's been lovely to actually chat to you properly. Great to talk to you. Take care. So we asked you all for some of your funny parenting stories. It was brilliant. <laughs> um, <laughs> brilliant and terrifying at the same time. Yes. Um, a story that stuck out for me was from Harriet, who um, during it was during one of the lockdowns and her daughter, who was only six, was having to wear a face mask into school and got to the school gates. Harriet had to go off to work, um, but she realised rummaging through her daughter's school bag, no face mask in there. What's she going to do? She had one for herself, which she had to wear because she was going on public transport. But her daughter's not going to be able to go to school without the face mask. Okay, right. Think clearly. Calm down. Look through the bag. <laughs> rummage through the bag. What can I use? What can I use? Oh, there's a pair of knickers in here. Oh, no. <laughs> a spare pair of pants, right? Child-sized pants. So she gets the pants and she fashions a face mask out of a pair of tiny unicorn pants, um, which her daughter... Wears into year one. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and merrily goes about her day, probably looking quite cool there. Yes. Um, so kudos um, parenting skills to Harriet <laughs> for incredible. fashioning a face mask out of a pair of pants. Um, we've, we've had such good stories. We've had one from a mother and a daughter sort of like grassing each other up 
Oh, great. So Rachel says, this is the mother, she was on the school run and six-year-old Kia, her daughter, four-year-old Joe and a baby Jack all in tow after school nursery. Joe did a runner. I let go of his hand for a second and he went straight for the road. In the panic, I disregarded every parent looking on, caught the running child before he got into the road, then went on very loudly, probably ridiculously loudly, to tell him of a little boy who once ran into the road and his legs turned back to front and when he wanted to walk forward, it could only go backwards. <laughs> That's like, I'm going to scare the bejesus out of you by telling yeah. you that if you run into the road, your legs will Not that you're going to get knocked over by an articulated yeah. lorry, that your legs are going to go backwards. And then oh. her daughter Kia said that she also frequently, this is the mother Rachel, also told us that witches came to take away naughty children. She had one of those plastic witches noses from Halloween that she used like a calling card. If you came home from school and the witch's nose was on the bed, then it meant you needed to start being good or she would come to take you away. That's the stuff of nightmares. It is the stuff of I'm nightmares. I freaked out. Yeah, no. That's Rachel. That's pretty dark. I mean, Kia, if you need any therapy, then uh, we'll probably have a therapist on at some point. So we'll hook you up. <laughs> There's quite a theme actually of um, of parents saying they've told their children's lies. Um, Steph said uh, we did actually tell the kids that the motion detectors for the burger arms were indicators that Santa was watching and listening all throughout the year, <laughs> which is quite yeah, good when, actually. When do you start using the Santa card? I usually start early november yeah um but not not the whole year might might try that i've got daisy who has told me about her daughter who once faked her own kidnapping (laughs) um she was only three she was refusing to hold her mother's hand while she was crossing a road and she's very stubborn um which is quite a good thing at times yes you know not in this situation and as daisy was dragging her across the road by her arm so she didn't get run over um or her legs didn't turn back to front um she her daughter shouted help i want mummy (gasps) oh god (laughs) So, so daisy was getting some very concerned looks um, and was probably getting increasingly more oh. irate um, as she pulled the daughter over. Oh my <laughs> goodness! Clever, aren't they? So clever. So clever. We had um, a birthday in the house recently, and we've had some uh, helium balloons that were going a little bit flaccid. So, in order not to waste them, because obviously, you know, if you've got a helium balloon, oh you've God. got to use it. Got to use it. What is life so, um, if you don't use the helium balloon when you need absolutely. it? Absolutely. So I got a pair of kitchen scissors and snipped a little hole at the end and inhaled the helium. <laughs> so I was then sort of speaking a bit like that. <laughs> And then my youngest came up and wanted to, wanted to use the scissors, grabbed hold of the scissors. So I'm holding the helium balloon by the by the hole. That, that sounds dreadful. Um, tr- <laughs> so as not to not to waste the helium. I tried to prise the scissors out of my little boy's hands. Every time I prized one hand off, he'd get the other one on. And I'm going, let go of the scissors, let go of the scissors, let go of the scissors. And it was just this ridiculous situation where I'm trying to stop a three-year-old from stabbing himself in the face, holding a helium balloon in the other hand and speaking like a chipmunk. <laughs> I just love that story, the visuals. And a helium balloon voice, brilliant. The glorious Hannah Miller, who was on last week's episode um, for tooting your own horn, said she thought her son Noah had once been stolen in an American shopping mall when he was in a buggy aged 10 months. The buggy was gone. I screamed. My entire family, who were in the USA with me, went in different directions to find him. He was, in fact, right there and just covered by a mound of clothes that I wanted to try on that I had piled over him. (laughs) 
mortifying, she says, which I just, that's so funny. Oh, dear. And the last story is from Mark. He said, um, a woman I worked with was potty training her son, but she also had a new Dyson and had to had been telling anyone who would listen how good it was and how it picked up all the crap. <laughs> then going to the understairs cupboard, she found that her son had t- had a poo on the new Dyson. <laughs> I mean, he was a, being a good boy, wasn't he, really? You know, it picks up all the crap. Off we go yes. to the toilet. Literally all the crap. Literally all the crap. <laughs> Thank you so much for sending in your stories. It's so lovely to hear. And just to know that, you know, we're all in it together. You have been listening to... Limited Time Only. If you've enjoyed this episode, then why don't you share it with someone you think would enjoy it too? Please like, follow or subscribe so we can pop into your ears on a regular basis. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. Your glowing reviews will help to shape future episodes and help other people to find us. You can join the Limited Time Only Conversation on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And you can email us hello at limitedtimeonlypodcast.com. We'll be back for more next time. But But for for now... now... Embrace the chaos.